Hey, this is Louisiana Sister Squad Podcast, where we bring you real information to enhance your truther lifestyle. I'm Katie. And I'm Tammy. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. Showing love and appreciation to a veteran can have a positive impact in their life as well as a positive impact on our community. In honor of Memorial Day 2022 and veterans across our great nation, Louisiana Sister Squad Podcast, along with Hugs for American Veterans, presents the Bear Hug Challenge. All you have to do is upload a pic showing love to our military veterans on our Telegram or tag us in an Instagram photo using the hashtag VetsHug. At the end of the challenge, all photos will be submitted by us to the Hugs for American Veterans Facebook page. The entry with the best bear hug photo will win an All-American prize. Contest ends May 29th, 2022. Winner will be announced Memorial Day, May 30th. See our link tree for more details. Share the love. Honor a veteran. Join us. Take the bear hug challenge. Today we have Alton Johnson. He's an ethical hacker as well as the founder and CEO of Vana High Security based out of Atlanta. On today's episode, he'll give us tips on cybersecurity for personal and business use. If you think like me, we need to cover first things first. What exactly is an ethical hacker? Welcome to the show, Alton. Thanks for being here. Sweet. So yeah, thanks for having me and I uh, really appreciate the opportunity as well. And so um, but yeah, so my name is Alton Johnson, the founder and principal security consultant for Vana High Security. And um, basically, you know, as an ethical hacker, my goal is to look for security vulnerabilities in networks and also within infrastructures to basically find right security issues uh, within environments. So if you think of like the 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 breach and data breach that you see all the time on a, on the news, right? Those are basically being executed by bad guys, and we are basically paid to do the exact same thing, but before um, it gets you know too far down the road from a bad person doing it. So we're basically paid hackers, but we're doing it for uh, to help companies protect themselves and find their security vulnerabilities. That is awesome, Alden. And I wanted to kind of jump right in and just talk about cybersecurity today. We're seeing the increasing threat of cybersecurity attacks with everything that's going on in the media. And we know that it's a very real possibility. Um, Most recently, we saw, I believe, the pipeline was hacked. Um, I've seen plenty of movies and documentaries, hospitals being hacked. Um, And that kind of brings the fear home, especially when today we're doing so much online. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves and talking about conglomerates and how they avoid being hacked, I was wondering if you can give us some insight on just how a typical user would be able to help protect themselves from, you know, cyber attacks or having their information hacked. Yeah, absolutely. The the three biggest things when it comes to protecting yourself, uh, number one, is uh, weak passwords, right? So I feel like passwords um, are things that we've talked about for a really long time. We've talked about the security of them. And the, the problem with like having a weak password is that if somebody can guess it, right, then they can get access to your social media accounts, your email, uh, which is extremely important. And, you know, once the attacker gets access to your email, then they can basically reset all of your other associated accounts, right? So Amazon, Twitter, LinkedIn, pretty much anything that ties back to that email account can be reset. So number one is definitely having a strong password. 
there's a lot of different password generators out there that can help you um, create a strong password. You know, there are some online, there's some that you can download. Um, but that's really, in my opinion, one of the biggest things that I see um, across like, you know, a lot of compromises with accounts and stuff like that. The other thing, the second thing is really um, something called two-factor authentication. So I, I posted about this uh, about a year ago. So, and we talk about it quite a lot, but two-factor authentication is basically a second layer of security, right? So pretty much every account online, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, eBay, PayPal, whatever account you have online, most likely have uh, the ability to set up a two-factor authentication process. And so what that means is whenever you go to log in, um, you basically have to authenticate using a second factor, right? So that's typically like, uh, you know, like a text message that you can sign up for or an email, or if you have an app, you can, you can, you can push notification, um, you can receive a notification to basically approve it, right? And so what this means is that if somebody wants to compromise your password, they still can't log in, right? And so like if you're sleeping and you get a text message saying, hey, you know, provide this secondary uh, token to Instagram, you know that your Instagram's password has been compromised. Now, the good thing is that they can't get in. So two-factor authentication is something that's extremely important and it's, it's pretty present um, with pretty much every service online that accepts credentials. And then the last thing is really uh, phishing. So uh, pretty much every week I get a, a call or a text from a friend going, hey, can you help me get my Instagram account back? Right. And what typically happens in those scenarios is that they've been fished. Somebody has sent them a link to something, they clicked on it, and it looks like it's Instagram requiring them to log in. So what happens is they log in and they go, oh, looks like, you know, it didn't take me anywhere. But in reality, what happened is they logged into a fake Instagram site and they just provided their password. And now they're, they're you know, they can't their account has been gone. And because they don't have two factor authentication, right, there is no secondary layers. So um, I would say phishing is the, is the third thing. So really just kind of stand on the lookout, you know, making sure that, you know, don't click on links, right? Anything that you're not familiar with, just avoid it altogether, even if it sounds pretty, pretty uh, uh, enticing. So, but those, I would say the three things. So passwords, uh, enforcing two-factor authentication, and just being more aware of uh, phishing emails. Yeah, the phishing happens a lot when you're going on, um, I won't say just like Instagram when someone sends you a link, but that happens a lot for uh, online bill payment. Um, they they really want your information. So even like where you go to pay your mortgage, something that has access to your bank account, um, you find a lot more uh, possibility, in my opinion, for pop-ups because that's the websites that like the big guys are really trying to get information to not just your Instagram account. Um, even though it's really horrible when that happens, they send spam messages and they really have access to everyone that you have access to. So it's so important to make sure that you're keeping that safe with the, with the two-factor uh, authentication. That's definitely great advice. And you can even, um, not just on sites, but on your phone, if you download the app for two-factor, two you can pretty much program that for every single site that you're going on through your phone, which I think is definitely um, excellent advice. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your job is definitely interesting, doing ethical hacking. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to just explain to our listeners a bit more of what that entails. Can you give us a, a poor example of a job you've done? Yeah, absolutely. So as a, as a professional hacker, right, the, the ultimate goal is for us to educate companies on their security vulnerabilities. So 
kind of as an example from start to finish, right? You have a bank who needs to um, satisfy auditors to basically say, hey, we're protecting our environment, right? And that's how they stay in compliance uh, with certain regulators. So in order for them to do that, what they do is they come to a company like ours and they say, hey, I need you to find all the security vulnerabilities within our network or within a particular number of networks. And that means, you know, we have to look for sensitive data. We have to basically figure out if we were on the opposite side of the world or, you know, just a kid who wants to hack into a bank, how would we do it? Right. So they're hiring us to basically figure out that process. And so as professional hackers, we basically talk to them, get the permission, uh, understand more about their environment, their business, the purpose, things like that. And in terms of the, the actual hacking process, we basically get access to their network and we are looking for any single vulnerability possible. And the, the biggest thing that we're looking for is not only the vulnerability, but what's the impact of that vulnerability, right? Because a lot of people know what their vulnerabilities are, but they don't understand the impact. And that's where I think there's a big difference in the market right now in the industry, right? So once we identify the vulnerability, our goal is to demonstrate that because this vulnerability exists, this is how we can get access to social security numbers, credit card numbers, um, sensitive data, intellectual property, pretty much everything that the business leadership team, you know, uh, don't want anybody to get access to. So that's pretty much our goal is how do we get access to sensitive data and what methods did we take to get there? And so typically the report will essentially show them a list of findings, right? Issues that we identified as part of our assessment, as well as what we were able to find as part of like exploiting that finding. And then also recommendations. So the technical team, they have the ability to look at the recommendation and go, oh, it looks like they got access to social security numbers because they, you know, because we have a weak password on our database server, right? And so that's pretty much the start and finish process. Um, a lot of companies do, um, they call them penetration test assessments, right? Um, they do those assessments for compliance. You have a lot of other companies who do it just because it's, you know, it's security best practice. Um, they don't want to be targeted. They don't want to be in the news and, you know, in a few months. And then also, too, when it comes to cyber uh, liability insurance, you know, a lot of cyber insurance providers are requiring that companies perform assessments. Basically, it's due to due diligence, right? So if they're going to insure a company and, and say, hey, we, we've got your back, if you get compromised, we want to make sure that you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing to protect yourself and you're not just being negligent. So that's pretty much the start and finish process. So we're, we're basically, you know, again, we're, we're, we're trying to do exactly what people see on the news, but you know, we're being hired to do it. Right. And the whole goal of that is to protect that company from that situation ever happening. So they basically come to us first before, um, you know, to, to do that assessment, make sure they're good to go. Sometimes we go in and do a second assessment and then, you know, we'll come back in the following year. But a lot of times you'll see companies do that once a year for, uh, for those, those specific reasons. It, Facebook is cloud storage. Apple is definitely cloud storage. Google has cloud storage as well. Can cloud storage be hacked? Absolutely. Right. So, um, for example, I could send an email to somebody saying, hey, it looks like your Google password was reset. Right. And if you didn't intend to reset it, click this link. And that link could go to a phishing site that I stood up that basically looks like Google. Right. So I'm basically tricking somebody into providing their credentials to me. And they're doing it because they believe that my phishing website is Google. So once I get their um, account, right, once I get their password, I could technically log into their account and log into Google Drive and start to extract data from their Google Drive. Um, I could access their emails. So um, cloud services are definitely uh, vulnerable to being targeted, and it happens pretty much on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, cool. I guess my question was also for the bigger picture, like Google can be hacked. 
Apple can be hacked, correct? Yeah. So one of the one of the things too with, with big cloud providers like Google, Microsoft, uh, AWS, which is Amazon, is they have an infrastructure that is that sits in a data center. Um, so they're pretty much vulnerable, just like any other company, right? You see it all the time. You see a lot of big companies that get, you know, um, like Okta, for example. They're a, they're a huge company that basically helps provide two-factor authentication, and they were just um, um, breached as well. So they they are just as vulnerable. And also, too, um, their employees um, could also be targeted for phishing attacks and stuff like that as well. So they, they are just as vulnerable as the smaller companies, maybe a little bit better, um, in some cases a little bit worse, just because those networks are just so huge, and they may not have the proper process in place to to essentially see everything within their environment. So I would say that they're, you know, just as they wouldn't be more difficult to target, maybe a little bit easier just because they're so big and they could drop the ball um, much, much easier than a small company. So you started your company, Vana High, um, with only $6,000 in the bank and grew it into a million plus business in about three years without funding from investors. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about being an entrepreneur and how you became so successful in such a short period of time. To give a little bit more context before I get into the Vanahai story. So I never anticipated on starting a business, right? It was never like a goal of mine, never picture myself doing it. I just, you know, it just, <laughs> just wasn't really in the, uh, in the roadmap, right? But so working at previous cybersecurity companies, um, there's a lot of inefficiencies with like doing a day-to-day -day work, right? So for example, writing reports for customers to tell them what their issues are and how to fix them was a huge like thing. It took a long time for 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 us to do it. It took a lot of revisions, you know, between QA. Um, just the whole process was just very inefficient. So um, at some point, I really got frustrated and tired of like following the the traditional process and wanted to create my own way to do it. So I had some ideas on how to like, you know, make the reporting process just a lot faster, not only for myself, but for the entire team. But the problem with that I was facing a lot of times was that leadership kind of thought that, you know, automating a report wasn't the best idea because, you know, it would be canned, it would be missing details, it would it would look exactly the same from customer to customer. Um, and plus, you know, they just had their opinions about automation. So for me, because I know how to code, I knew that I could solve that problem without all of the concerns that the leadership team had at the time. And I faced this at a few different companies, right? So um, to kind of get into the Vanahai story. So basically, um, when I ended up parting ways from my previous job, I told myself I would never go back and work for another cybersecurity company. And mostly because I just... I knew that it would seem to be the best place in the world to work for like the first, I don't know, first year. And then after that, it would be the same exact issues, you know, reporting sucks and just everything. So I told myself that I would never work for another cybersecurity company. So what I ended up doing was moving out of my apartment, pretty much, you know, putting everything into storage, moving in with, you know, my family um, and just pretty much have been mobile for quite a while. And I said to myself, as long as I have a laptop, I will not be like, I will, I will figure this out. Right. So I didn't care about being homeless. Right. I was really focused on the big picture of, you know, creating a reported or an automated report generator to basically do a lot of 1099 work uh, for other cybersecurity companies, but use my report generator to do it. So I was on this mission to basically this mission to efficiency, right? Like I just wanted to have a better process as a hacker. 
And I knew that working at another cybersecurity company wouldn't do the job. So uh, I bought my laptop and I literally just tried to do any and everything to get my name out there. I didn't have any experience in sales. I didn't have any experience in marketing. I didn't really have a big connection with anybody. I literally just tried to do everything, right? So I tried to sell my services for free. I've went around knocking on doors, dropping off, you know, our brochures, just the whole nine yards. And so um, after a period of time, I ended up moving to Atlanta and um, essentially I had, a, I had a slightly better idea, right? So I wanted to um, uh, basically create, you know, a process to not only automate the reports, but even automate the hacking activities, right? So um, I started putting together some of the framework to, to do that. And essentially that turned into you know, me kind of bragging on LinkedIn going, hey guys, this is how I'm gonna automate reports and hacking activities. <laughs> and so what ended up happening from there is we um, we got on a call and turns out the person that we were talking to um, told us that they heard us from, uh, they heard about us from Reddit. And, you know, I was just like, Reddit, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't post on Reddit. I don't do Reddit. I don't understand how business opportunities happen on Reddit. I don't Reddit, I'm just confused. So we did some research and we were like, all right, we saw the post that somebody asked. They were like, hey, have you guys heard of Vanahai? Like they're automating reports and, and pen testing. And so that kind of told us that there was a huge demand when it came to pen testing and, and automating reports. And so I, that, that, that process for me kind of like confirmed that, you know, uh, all of the things that I thought, you know, should be possible were actually something that other people wanted. And so we started kind of building a product to kind of, you know, cater to that demand. And, and eventually that kind of turned into, you know, a full-blown automated pen testing um, platform. So as I was kind of talking about my, you know, my experience and, and things that I was doing, um, we ended up creating a product that automates literally my entire previous job role. So everything I was doing 40 hours a week, traveling on site and the whole nine yards, we have automated that to a completely 100% self-service process. So um, so that's pretty much what Vana High Security is now, right? So we're basically automating that previous manual ethical hacker like job position that I was doing um, before into a product and get the exact same results, um, just a lot cheaper because it's automated, um, a lot faster, right? Because it's automated and, and also scalable, right? So, um, so our goal at, at Vana High is basically to be able to provide ethical hacking services to companies um, who, who typically couldn't afford the traditional uh, penetration testing services, right? So in the past, right, you, you had to have a human being fly to a company website, I mean, fly to a company's location, do the assessment, fly back, and that would cost, you know, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, like super expensive. Um, but in the path of like finding a better way to do it as a pen tester, we were able to actually find a way to not only automate the pen tester's job, but also to bring something to the market that um, wasn't possible before. So that's that's pretty much uh, the 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 quick the the quick summary on on Vana High Security. That's awesome, and that's really cool um, to be so innovative in your field. Um, you know, knowing you personally, that that should bring you a lot of pride. And I'm so happy to know you and to see that you know someone I know is so capable of doing something so absolutely freaking cool. Um, I think that that's a, a huge hurdle for a lot of companies. And like you said, this is an opportunity for even smaller companies. You know, when you're selling things online 
you have a database of your customers. And it's so important to keep that safe, which is, um, you know, a lot of people can be deterred from shopping small online businesses, even for that reason, if they're definitely concerned about security. So just like at home, when we have the security sign in our front yard, our home is less likely to be broken into because they know that you have that security, um, you're able to provide that for smaller companies for their online shopping experience. So when they go to checkout, you can say, hey, our website is safe and secure for you to check out on. And that does provide a level of comfort for people, I'm sure. You have such a unique career and you are essentially a business owner and an inventor. And then, you know, from the information you gave us, it says you only have a GED, which I think is like particularly inspiring that like you can start anywhere and be anything that you want to be. You don't have to have a college education and Alton is proof of that. My entire life has been hacking right so even as a kid right before way before like wireless routers were super popular uh this was back in like the aol days right um so i always just love coding and and love like hacking i mean obviously as a kid I, I was up to no good but um i just love the idea of like learning something new and for me that was something that i have full control over i didn't have to worry about a teacher teaching it to me i could just do the research on my own and i felt good and accomplished because I was able to teach myself something very cool and new. And so um, for me, school just wasn't really like exciting for me. Like I love to like code and create things and like do stuff on a computer. I don't want to wake up at six o'clock in the morning to like learn about history. Like as a kid, you just, it just wasn't exciting. Like I didn't wake up out of my bed jumping going, oh, I can't wait to learn about what happened in 1945. Like that just, <laughs> that just wasn't exciting, right? Um, I so, feel the exact same way that like, you know, <laughs> school is so cookie cutter, but they have so many, um, I'll say kids with like different styles of learning. Um, you know, everything doesn't have to come from the indoctrination of school. I was the same way. I also have my GED, but I'm very creative. Uh, I totally am on board with you when you say not everybody has to go through the same thing and the tradition of graduating from college to become a success. I, and I think that having trades, especially self-taught are, you know, the best thing to really have. Definitely. And you can look at a lot of people who are CEOs and top of the corporations and, and people that came out with these super innovative ideas and things. And you will find that a majority of them don't have Ivy League schooling to back what it is they're doing. Um, and I just really wonder with that amount of success, like looking at people like Alton or anybody that you're looking at that's successful that doesn't have that schooling, they say the same thing. Um, you don't need to go to college for it. And I hated being in school. I hated being in school too. I love learning, but not in the way of a traditional classroom. It really makes me wonder is how much longer are we going to just tolerate schooling being the way that it is? Something has got to give because they will tell you that we're creating just generation after generation of people. It's just learned knowledge. You don't go to school to learn how to think. You go to school to learn to be part of an assembly line. And that's it. 
Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and kind of to your point too, right? So, you know, a lot of people just kind of know what they want. They, they just need to be like kind of pushed in that direction. And I feel like school didn't care about that for me. I don't know how it is today, but like, you know, I always said while I was in school, like put me in a computer class and I will pay attention. But <laughs> if you don't put me in a computer class, I'm not going to pay attention. It was very simple for me. It wasn't a, a negotiation, <laughs> right? And so I feel like, you know, if they had more like more classes related to like computers, anything, just put me in front of a computer, I would be I would be happy. Right. So for me, like even after I, I, I got my GED, like I was excited to go to college because the courses that I was going to be taking were like computer networking classes. So it goes back to, you know, like I don't mind going to, to school, but if you just put the right class in front of me, I would do it and I would be very happy about it. Right. And so that for me was the uh, was like the path that I thought was the best. And and I don't know how it is today, but I hope hopefully uh, it'll get there sooner than later, because I, I do think there's a lot of like shortage in the industry when it comes to skills. And I hate to say it, but I think, you know, schooling is kind of a uh, has a lot to do with that. And in regards to schooling, you went to a technical college to like learn trade. You didn't go to uh, a university, correct? Exactly. Yeah, I went to Louisiana Technical College. So right after my GED, um, I wanted to go to school to um, to learn how to code. Like I wanted to go into like a development class or like a development course. But at the time, they told me that, um, you know, developers weren't really a big thing in the world. And so they had computer networking. And so I went ahead and did that. Um, and so for me, that was pretty easy, pretty straightforward. We had a lot of like, um, now the good thing I liked about that too, is that they had like actual lab environments. So, you know, you can teach me everything in a book, but if I don't actually physically do it or put it to practice, then it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so they did a really good job at that. I was a bad kid, but it was always because I had to do stuff that I didn't want to do, like go to school and like do homework and stuff like that. But I think now that they've actually seen the proof, right. Of like, not taking a traditional route and actually still succeeding, I think they've definitely changed their perspective um, to be more in favor of like, hey, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're a kid, if if he if he seems like he's more interested in this, like maybe you should like encourage him to do that to do that, as opposed to just following the path. So I think they've definitely, um, you know, uh, learned a lot more, and, and now they're in favor of like the alternative route if if it seems like it's going our way. I know that you're not a parent yet. But having been through that situation, if you had the opportunity to talk to other parents, like for me, you know that my my oldest daughter, she's gifted and she does really great in school. Um, however, her interest level, like you said, definitely dips down when it comes to learning about what happened in 1840. If you had the opportunity to talk to parents that might be struggling with their kid because that's all they want to do is be on the computer, whatever it is, if they're into innovating something, can you tell us about like, how would you go about like identifying that school is probably not the right call? And what advice would you give them for encouragement for the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know a little bit, this might sound a little crazy because I'm not a parent, but I think from my perspective, I would definitely just be more like understanding because I feel like for me, right, I kind of had to like force myself into like getting my GED. It wasn't an option. I just, you know, I had to force it because, you know, my mom, she she heard my, my frustrations about school, but to her, she didn't really care. She just knew that that was the way to like get a, a good job at the end of the day. And so um, I would definitely encourage like supporting them. Right. And it, like if they have an interest in something in something in particular, like definitely 
give everything you can to like support that child throughout that journey. And, it, you know, it may be a route that isn't traditional, but I think today, you know, as we see kind of the world, sh you know, shaping up, it's definitely okay for it not to be the traditional route. And kind of like what you were saying earlier, there's a lot of success in the world that, that took an alternative route, right? So it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just a different way to get to the same goal, but just better, right? It's just basically becoming more efficient with their time because 18 years is a long time to be in school and to get out and not know how to do taxes or like fill out a job. That's a long, 18 years is a really long time, right? So I think it's, it's definitely pretty important to just, you know, uh, support, you know, support children as much as possible when it seems like they want to learn more about something in particular. You know, you're really having a lot of success and thinking about children that might have struggled. Um, do you have any plans for the future to be able to help cultivate people who are starting out in the same boat as you? As a matter of fact, uh, I'm involved with a, uh, from time to time, there's this program called Full Stack Academy. And uh, what we do is we kind of just, you know, talk to the students who go through the course. It's basically a boot camp for kids who want to get into cybersecurity, right? They may not want to go to college or they, they may have like a different, so that there's boot camps out there that'll just basically let you sign up. They'll teach you everything you want to know, and then that's it. And so what I've done in a, a few times in the past is like, did kind of like a uh, like got involved in those those calls, right? Did like some webinars to kind of talk about what I do every day. How do I get into you know how did I get into the industry? And even um, in some cases, give them like you know resources that they they could look at to to essentially further their knowledge in that process. Um, and the biggest thing too is really you know encouraging them to network. So um, that's something that I'm pretty big on, right? Especially getting into the industry. I, I, I typically like to. Um, tell kids who, who want to get into cybersecurity is to really network. Like, don't be afraid to just send an email to a company and say, hey, I want to work there one day. What do I need to do to get there? Right? Like, that's, nobody ever told me that, but like, because I wanted to get into the industry so bad, I was willing to do that. Like, go drive to the company and say, hey, I just want to talk to one of your guys for like 10 minutes. Like, I just want to work here one day. Just tell me what I need to do. Right? And so that kind of builds a relationship and uh, helps, you know, people remember you down the road. So, and even at Vana High too, one of the things that we want to do um, pretty soon is kind of get into like a uh, like an intern program. So we've actually got uh, a few people that are kind of starting out in the industry, uh, cybersecurity and, and some other areas too, but uh, basically kind of showing them what it's like to be a pen test on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Um, and so we want to do something more like that too on a bigger scale down the road as well. I definitely look forward to that information. Like we discussed, uh, both my kids are just heavily into what's happening online um, and they really want more freedom. But as a parent, I'm also really strict and controlling because I don't want them to see the full scope of the internet for the amount of things that they see and in our society. Um, and even to us as adults, you know, we really see some, some horrific things online and that makes us less sensitive and aware to what's happening on a broader scope because we're constantly bombarded with bad images, um, just like we're talking about crime in our city and things like that. You really see a lot of gruesome footage and you know, I really love my kids and their little leave it to beaver world. Honestly, I love that innocence about them. And I want that to last for as long as possible, because I think that really helps people be good humans is if they're not just wax cold to, oh, yeah, this has been happening in the world for a long time. And I've 
you see gruesome movies and gruesome games and stuff like that. And so that's just me just really wanting to preserve their their innocence for so long. But if I can get them online to do something to further their education, to be productive and innovative in the long term of things, a safe place where they could go to learn those things, I'm more than willing to put put that computer in front of them right then and there. What are your thoughts on decentralized currency and even internet and stuff like that moving forward? Um, I definitely think it's it's better to kind of remove some of that control from some of those like, you know, the big organizations that are trying to like push, you know, their own mission and stuff like that to to, to people. But um, I haven't, you know, I've kind of poked around with cryptocurrency for, for a little bit, but I'm not really, I haven't really gotten involved in too many of like some of the, uh, some of the all currencies, the all coins that are out there and some of their missions and goals. But um, I think, I definitely think that the more control we can kind of give back to ourselves, right, the better. And I, I know there's like pros and cons to both sides of that. But I think even from a, a security perspective, that would also be good as well, right? Because there's less, you know, you have a little bit more flexibility in how things are actually happening in the world and, and technology in general, as opposed to just relying on company X to determine how things are, are happening. So, and, you know, it just puts a little bit more control back in the user's hands. So I'm all, I'm all for it. Okay, cool. Do you have any advice for keeping your cryptocurrency safe? Like what have you seen be most effective so far? Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the biggest things too is is kind of going back to two factor authentication. So whatever, whenever, whatever wallet that you're using, right, there is going to be some type of two factor authentication process to get access to the wallet. Um, the other thing too is there is a security control called whitelisting, where basically if you're home all the time, right, you might want to only allow your IP address from your house to get access to your wallet, right. So if anybody is across the street, you know, they're on their own, their own network or you're, you know, across the world trying to get access to the wallet and it, it just wouldn't work. And there's also the idea behind like the physical, like offline, you know, wallets too, which is, you know, ultimately the best, right? Cause you have to physically, you know, carry it around and store it somewhere, which, you know, it has this, it's kind as well, right? You can lose it, you can step on it and things like that. And, and you know, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I definitely think, um, I would say those are really the, the the biggest things to kind of keep that protected. And, you know, of course, going back to the phishing stuff, right? There's always going to be people out there trying to, if they know you you deal with Coinbase or something like that, they may try to send you some phishing emails to try to get access to your, you know, your your, your Coinbase account and stuff like that. So um, I would say that those principles are pretty, pretty uh, standard across, you know, technology in general. So I think those would be pretty good. All right, Alton, uh, thank you so much for being here today. And just in closing, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about cybersecurity? Um, I would definitely say, you know, if you are, you know, in a high position at a company, you know, to just bring up the topic about cybersecurity and really kind of get more involved in it, right? So, you know, don't just leave it up to one person in the company to like decide how cybersecurity should be, you know, enforced, you know, just get, get a little bit more involved because a lot of times what we see is, you know, we'll, we'll talk to, um, you know, one person about cybersecurity, but they leave it up to the other person. And then we, you know, I, I think the more people that get involved, the more we'll actually get to, um, you know, see companies protect themselves. So we've done, you know, we, we did a, a pen test for a, a, a sheriff's office and, you know, their, you know, their IT guy had a lot of excuses as to why they didn't want to do certain things. Right. But he was like the only person that was deciding all of these things. And so when we did a penetration test assessment, we saw everything in the world that was possible from a, a hacker's perspective. And we were pretty shocked that they hadn't been breached already. So I think the more people just kind of like go, huh, how are we protecting our data, right? How, how you know, I, I don't see two-factor authentication 
in our accounts, like we're not providing it to our users, right? So just becoming a little bit more aware of that and involved in that topic and understanding, you know, like what are some of the potential consequences of not doing that uh, would definitely help organizations entirely, um, you know, become just become better at like practicing it and enforcing it across, you know, their infrastructure. So, um, but that would be the biggest thing. And, you know, kind of going back to the school situation, um, definitely, you know, just embrace, you know, what you know and what you want to do growing up. And there's a lot of free free resources online that, you know, people can use to, to educate themselves. And, you know, school isn't always the best way to do it. You know, sometimes it's just a way to get you to pay a lot of money for two years only to find out that you can't do anything with it afterwards. So definitely be aware of like um, of, of some of those different learning paths, you know, growing up and, and, and trying to get into industry. Okay, awesome. Yeah, like Tammy said, thank you so much for being here. You've been really insightful and I definitely look forward to uh, connecting further. The truth train doesn't stop here. Did you know that you can connect with us and our guests further? Join us on the uncensored platform, Telegram, for live chats and Q&A with our guests. Hope to see you there. Before you go, hit follow and share with a friend. Wake up to a new episode of Louisiana Sister Squad podcast every Tuesday.